I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm trying to explain to you what it means when God says, I create evil. He means exactly that. I'm teaching you through the Bible on a paper that I've written, Does God Create Evil? He said, I make peace and I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. The word evil, every time you find it, is the word ra or ra Ra is the verb form of the noun ra. It means calamity, something that is bad. It actually means evil. The whole context of that 45th chapter of Isaiah is where God is going to call, he's going to call Babylon down into Israel to destroy Israel. Or actually that part is where he's going to call Persia in to destroy Babylon who has carried Israel into captivity. And the army of Babylon is going to come in. The army of Persia is going to come in and utterly annihilate Babylon. Now, Jeremiah is the last prophet that's prophesying in Israel at their demise and their destruction. Northern Israel, Northern Israel had several titles. After God split the nation under because of Solomon's sin of marrying all these 700 wives and 300 concubines, and all of those had tree and sun goddess, sun gods, sun gods. And the Bible says that Solomon was seduced by these women, and he built all of these temples for, he built he he let them worship their gods. And the Bible says God split it into southern Judah, which was comprised of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin. And the northern tribes were ten tribes. They're called the ten lost tribes. And those ten tribes were led by Ephraim, and he was the second-born son of Joseph. And God gave Joseph the inheritance, which was given to his son, his second-born son, Ephraim. So when Ephraim is referred to, long after he's dead, it's talking about Samaria. If Israel is referred to after Ephraim's dead, if it says Israel, it means northern Israel. If it says Judah, it means southern Israel. Now, Judah, the southern nation, was comprised of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And, of course, what they did, they named it after the tribe out of which the king would come. So they called southern Judah, Judah and Benjamin. That that was their tribes. And it had, it was called Israel. It was called Samaria. It was called Ephraim. That was all Israel, 
not Judah in there. But Israel, Samaria, and Ephraim was all northern Israel. And northern Israel was carried away into captivity in 722 B.C., long before Jeremiah is even born. Jeremiah starts preaching in 626 B.C., has to be a young man, and he's prophesying in 626, and he prophesies the destruction of Judah, and that happens in 586 B.C. B.C. means before Christ. And then they had three deportations by the Babylonian system. Babylon, the Babylonian king comes in. That's Nebuchadnezzar. I'm misspelling it wrong. Nebuchadnezzar, N-E-B, I told you I misspelled. M-E-B-U-C-H-A-D. Nebuchadnezzar, N-E-Z-Z-E-R. Nebuchadnezzar is the one that carried Israel away. They had two deportations before 586. They had one in 605. That was peaceful. Why is it he's carrying them away peacefully? Israel was rebelling against the king, not willing to pay their tribute money, which would be the same thing as taxes, so that that was for their protection and to build any kind of roads or whatever they needed. And tribute would be the same thing as taxes. So Nebuchadnezzar had every right to come in in 605 in a peaceful deportation in 597 B.C. These are all B.C. In 597, another peaceful deportation. And then Israel was so was so arrogant. And the man who prophesied for 40 years started in 626 B.C. all the way to 586 was Jeremiah. And he kept telling them, the king of Babylon is going to come in and you have to go to Babylon. The reason being, you got to be over there for 70 years. The main thing that they did not do was keep their sabbatical years. They're told in Leviticus, the 25th chapter, you've got to have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Every seven years, every seven years, you've got to live the land alone, alone, and let the land alive fallow. They said, we don't understand that. Now, God's not going to explain to them something that we call crop rotation. I brought my cell phone on the uh, platform. I just want to show you something. You can use this for more than playing games. And I hope you can hear this. Hold on a second. 
Ohio. What happens when farmers do not have crop rotation? Hold on a second. I wanted to speak. What happens when farmers do not practice crop rotation? According to one soil blog, if you don't rotate crops, the soil in that field will inevitably begin to lose the nutrients plants need to grow. The nutrients plants. It'll lose its nutrients. You can find that on your cell phone. And then he says, if you don't rotate crops, the soil in that field will eventually begin to lose nutrients plants. And he goes on down here to say, what is crop rotation important in farming? Let's see here. A crop rotation can help manage your soil fertility and reduce erosion, improve your soil's health, and increase nutrients available for crops. Well, instead of having crop rotation, you couldn't, even in a farmer in America in the Midwest, I hope you understand that. You can look a whole lot. I look up information all the time on my cell phone. Some of the things I say to you come off my cell phone. A lot of it. And crop rotation, it drains the ground of nutrients if you plant the same thing. If you're a farmer out here in the Midwest and you plant the same, you've got a thousand acres, you plant the same thing every year in certain areas, it'll pull all the nutrients out, it's got to restore a certain amount of nitrogen and other elements into the ground to grow certain crops. Well, instead of that, God told Israel, you have to leave the land alone every seven years and it will restore the rotation. It will restore the nutrients. That's why he moved them to Babylon for 70 years. And I bring that out. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the bad guy in this. Israel was the bad guy. They would not do what God said. And they went for, they went for 70 of these Seventy of those sabbatical years, every seven years, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, count up to 70, that's 490 years. They never practiced crop rotation or the sabbatical years. And God says, I got to move you out of there. Go to Babylon. Do not try to go to Egypt and run away from me and my what I'm going to do, i got a program for you. I'm going to bring you back after you stay out there for 70 years in Babylon. Babylon is the same thing as Iraq. They were had to be carried away from here in southern Judah about 650 miles over here to Babylon and put in prison for 70 years. That's why God did what he did. Whenever I preach on the 70 weeks of Daniel... The first thing I go to is Daniel 9, and I'm going through Jeremiah. Look at Daniel 9. Daniel 9. This is not hard to understand. It's about crop rotation. The same thing we do, except God called it a sabbatical year. If they left it alone every seven years, it would restore the nutrients in seven year and that seventh year and they could keep planting in the the next year after that. 
But they didn't. Can you imagine how bad their crop was? After 490 years, they never kept their sabbatical years? That's something that every farmer knows here in America. I keep giving the illustration. Me and Mary lived over here at 104 Irvine Street. And we had a little garden out back. And we planted it every year for 10 years. It got to where we would buy these jumbo tomato plants. And they would end up little cherry tomatoes. They wouldn't grow. There's no nutrients in there. We were burning the ground up. <coughs> we don't do that now. We just buy our, we buy our vegetables up in Kentucky at the Amish. <laughs> That's easier. Now, whenever I'm, whenever I'm teaching the 70 weeks of Daniel, the first thing I do, I go over here to Daniel 9. And the Bible says here in the verse 1, the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes. Now, I've already studied this, and I know that Darius ascended the throne in 522 B.C. He was the king of, he was the monarch of Babylon, and which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Chaldean is another name for Babylonians. In the first year of Darius' reign, that would be 522 B.C. I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, came to Jeremiah. He was reading the book of Jeremiah that Jeremiah wrote. Jeremiah, Daniel is living here in 520 B.C. And Jeremiah was prophesying in from 526 B.C. to 586 B.C. So this is many years later and Jeremiah is probably dead by this time. This is the last mention of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. The last mention. But he was studying the book of Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, he leveled the temple, he leveled the city and burnt the city to the ground. That's what he did. Now, so what he's reading, what Daniel is reading, is exactly where I left off last week in the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. And he's reading the 25th chapter of Jeremiah. So let's go back to where I finished up the other day in the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. So when God says he's going to carry them off to Babylon, all of Israel, they the reason they were carried away is mainly this right here, the, the sabbatical years. But since they didn't want to keep the sabbatical years, they went after other fertility gods. And those were imaginary gods, Baal, Grove. Baal was the sun god. The grove was the tree goddess. She was the same thing as the Christmas tree. They were going after Shemosh, Molech. And you need to know who Shemosh and Molech was. Right next door to Israel, this looks like a pan. This looks like a panhandle up here. This is what we call Jordan. And Jordan was ancient 
Ammon, northern Jordan, would have been the land of Ammon. And southern Jordan would be Moab. Where in the world did they come from? Ammon and Moab, or it's actually was Ben Ammon. Ben Ammon, they just changed his name to Ammon. And Ammon, Jordan, is the capital of Jordan today. Well, what came out of Moab was Shemosh. Shemosh was the sun god of southern Jordan, or Moab. And what came out of Ammon was Moloch. And we know God condemned Israel for worshiping Moloch. What they did, they polluted Israel. Israel somehow got a hold of their gods and moved them over into Israel. In fact, they worshiped Moloch south of Jerusalem when they would burn their children in the fires of Tophet to Moloch. Milcom and Malcolm and Molech and Moloch are all forms of the same sun god or the fire god. And every time you think of the fire god, you think of Elijah calling fire from heaven and facing 450 priests of Baal. And he told them, let the God that answered by fire, let him be the fire god. Because I didn't believe it. He didn't believe in the ones they were serving. Now, he says, when you go to Babylon, you're going there for the purpose of staying away from the land. You wouldn't leave the land alone. Don't you get it? He said, I'm not going to break my covenant with you. After 70 years, I'm going to have you come back and serve me. The only problem was there wasn't enough of them wanting to come back. Israel was a wasteland after Nebuchadnezzar got through with it. He burned the towns. He burned the city of Jerusalem to the ground. He burned the temple. There was nothing left. It looked like you were walking into some ancient city that had been destroyed over a thousand years and it hadn't been that long well when they gave those decrees to go back most people didn't want to go back they were prospering in Babylon they had been carried away captive into Babylon but most of Israel had been loosened in Babylon the same thing that we call Iraq right there most of them had been loosed and they were one author said there was a tributary that ran between the Tigris and the Euphrates and a million Jews lived on that and they were prospering. So they didn't want to go back to Israel. Now, I always read these verses. I read that in Daniel 9 and 2 and then I read this one here in this chapter here. He says, go to Babylon, build houses in verse 5, and plant gardens and fruit and eat fruit of them and take wives and beget children and daughters because you're going to be there 70 years. And don't listen to your prophets in verse 8. They lie to you. And then he says in verse 10, For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I'll visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place because I'll cause Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes to give decrees. I'll put it in their mind to give decrees to send you home. Well, then, let's back up. That's what Daniel was reading about. And he was also reading about the 25th chapter of Jeremiah when Jeremiah says in chapter 25, 
he says, I'll just read a little bit of this to you. He says in verse 8, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Because you have not heard my words, you had not obeyed my voice, Israel. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Now he's more of a servant uh, than the fact that he, God gave these decrees and he sent them back. He's going to use Nebuchadnezzar to destroy all the nations around Israel that have polluted them with other gods. And that would include, that would include Ammon, which would be northern Jordan, and Moab, which would be southern Jordan, and Syria, when they went after Rimon, and up here in what we call Lebanon, or they call Tyre and Sidon, where they brought in Baal and the grove uh, when Ahab married Jezebel. That was her father's god, and they brought that down. And they they worship worshiping all the gods of Egypt. So God sends Nebuchadnezzar over here to destroy Syria, to destroy Lebanon, to destroy Moab and Ammon. And you'll see that when Joab says, against Ammon, against Moab. And he's calling Nebuchadnezzar, to literally annihilate all these people. Nebuchadnezzar attacks Egypt, and the Lord has Jeremiah tell the people, do not go into Egypt running. If you do, and you think you're going to run from Nebuchadnezzar over here, you'll go into Egypt. I'm going to have Nebuchadnezzar invade Egypt and kill you in Egypt. Just go over there. I'm going to live by my covenant that I'll give you crops in your land, but you've got to learn obedience to me. That's what it's about. It's really a simple story. People think the 70 weeks of Daniel is some wicked, hard word. It's not a hard word. It's, a, it's to Jerusalem and Judah. Stay there until I restore the nutrients in the ground. And then he goes on to say here in the 25th chapter, Therefore thus saith the Lord, because you have not heard my words, behold, 25 verse 9, 25 Jeremiah. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land of Israel and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about, all those I just mentioned, Moab and Ammon and Syria and Lebanon or Tyre and Sidon and Egypt, and make them astonishment and a hissing. That means to laugh at and make fun of. And a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth. That means happiness and joy. And the voice of gladness. And the voice of the bridegroom. It will not be there anymore. And the voice of the bride. That won't be there. And the sound of the millstone. What he's saying, the millstone was where they ground their wheat. You had a nether stone and you had a millstone. That This was a lava rock. 
and one will hold this stone down while the other will turn this one round and round and will grind the wheat. So when the Bible says two women will be at the mill grinding the stone, there in Matthew, the 24th chapter, at the coming of Christ, that's what it's talking about. Some stupid people have come up and said, two women were grinding at the mill. They've made that two lesbians, stupid people. You're ignorant. It's talking about this. Now, against the inhabitants thereof, let me see, where was I? And all the nations right about will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, hissing and perpetual desolation. There'll no more be all this, the sound of the millstones in verse 10, and the light of the candle. There'll be no candles lit. It'll be dark all over the land. And this whole land of Israel, you might as well say of Israel, that's what he's talking about, shall be a desolation after Nebuchadnezzar burns it to the ground and carries everybody away except the poor. And they're not builders. They don't know how to build. He took away all the the workers and metals and silversmiths in the 24th chapter of Second Kings. I'll show you that before we get through this. Men who could build, make spears or bows and arrows or or implements to dig to dig up uh, the land so they could plant crops. Just poor common people were left there when Nebuchadnezzar and Jeremiah said, "I'll stay with the poor." And Nebuchadnezzar gave Jeremiah the chance to have any land he wanted there or in Babylon. Said, "You're free." It was Nebuchadnezzar and his commanding general that told Jeremiah that. Now let's keep reading. In verse 11, In this whole land of Israel will be a desolation and astonishment. That means to be shocked. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. There it is again. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished, when Israel's been over there 70 years, that I will punish the king of Babylon. But it won't be a Babylonian king then. It will be all of the kings that conquered Babylon. First it was Persia, and then it was Greece. They all made their homes in Babylon because they loved the landscape and the beauty of the city, and it was sitting right on the river. Mazes made, when you build on a river, you build on the sand. That's a very picture of building on the sand, and it can be run over. And that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity, talking about Israel, and the land of the Chaldeans, and will make it a perpetual desolation. Now let me give you a couple of, because to build up to Jeremiah's total message, we need to read all of it. Look here at Zechariah. Zechariah. Well, let me go to Second Chronicles 36. This is where Nebuchadnezzar comes in and literally slaughters Israel. Right here. Second Chronicles 36. I hope you'll stay with me on this teaching. You cannot teach Jeremiah's 52 chapters where he's going to have Nebuchadnezzar attack all these lands around Israel. You can't teach that in two or three lessons. I'm on, 
about my 17th lesson right now on God creating evil. And I'm going through Jeremiah. And I'm giving the high points of Jeremiah. To have the high points of Jeremiah, you got to have the 70 weeks. All right. Then here in Second Chronicles 36. This is where Babylon... Babylonian king, Jeremiah, comes in and literally slaughters Israel. And he says, talking about Israel, they mocked, verse 14, 36, Second Chronicles, they mocked the messengers of God. They mocked the prophets that said, judgment's going to come on you for going after all these gods and turning away from him and ignoring the sabbatical years. And despised his words and misused his prophets and killed him. They killed Isaiah, put him on a log, sawed him in half. You think you've suffered much yet? Have you been sawed in two yet? Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, Israel, till there was no remedy. Remedy is the word marpe. M-A-R-P-E. M-A-R-P-E means no answer, no way out. It's the same word in Proverbs 29 and 1. The man that stiffens his neck and hardens his heart, he will be suddenly cut off, and that without remedy, marpe, no answer, no cure. The judgment of God is no cure to it. I believe America is under the judgment of God. There's very little truth coming from anywhere. All the preachers are lying. They're celebrating Christmas and Easter and all the holidays. They preach free will. They don't preach predestination. They like to believe that they got some part in their salvation. Verse 17, Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees. That's Nebuchadnezzar who slew their young men with the sword. You think God don't create evil? Look what he's doing. The young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, the only ones that were in the sanctuary were the Levites, the third son of of Jacob, and his name was changed to Israel. They're killing the priests in the sanctuary. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers are doing. Good night. And had no compassion upon young man or maiden or old man. And God said, I'm the one that calls them in there to do that. Or him that stooped for age. They killed all the old men, all the children, all the little kids, four, five, six, seven, eight. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord. Everything the priest needed to perform their rituals of the tabern of the temple, and the treasures of the king and his princes, all these he brought to Babylon, and they burnt the house of God. That was the temple. They'd burn it to the ground. Nebuchadnezzar gave the orders, Burn it And they did. Break down the wall of Jerusalem and burn all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the good vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away 
to Babylon, those that were willing to go to Babylon, knowing that they'll be given a decree to come back and rebuild the temple in 70 years, and where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. And this was all, in verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. It keeps talking about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the one that said in the 25th chapter, after 70 years, and he said in the 29th chapter, after 70 years, by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, 70 years of sabbatical rest. So the land could restore its nutrients by that time. The sabbatical years are connected with the false gods that went after, because when after these gods, they didn't require anything of them. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath, to fulfill three scores, scores 20, three scores 60, and 10 years, 70 years. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, do you realize that you're jumping from 586 B.C. in verse 21 to 539 B.C. in verse 22? That's when Cyrus comes in and overthrows Babylon. And then Cyrus comes in and gives the first decree. The first decree is given here. Now let's go back over here. What I'm trying to do is going through the book of Jeremiah. I think he is, if not the most important in the Old Testament, one of the most important. He's been my hero for all my life. And I've always wanted to teach on him, but you can't do it without reading through the book. Now, before I get, I need to give you a couple more places about the 70 years. Look here in Zechariah. Zechariah talks about the 70 years. Zechariah was living in 520 under the rule of Darius. He was in 520. Zechariah, I'll call him Zach, and Haggai. Haggai prophesied for three months. Zechariah prophesied for approximately two and a half to three years. And they're in 520, and the temple is going to be filled and finished in 516 and Nehemiah is over there instructing on building the temple so he had to have known Zechariah and Haggai had to have because he started building the temple in 538 BC and then when you get to 520 that's not far down the road that's just uh, 38 that's just 18 years down the road and these guys are telling the people they quit building in 536 B.C. because it caught a lot of slack. And then God raises up Zechariah and Haggai and says, tell these people to get back busy after they let the temple just lay there for 16 years. Get back busy, Zechariah is saying. Well, when you go to Zechariah, the first chapter, you're going to see him talking about the 70 years in verse 12 of the first chapter 
Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem? Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed it. And on the cities of Judah against whom thou hast hast indignation these three score and ten years. Well, they wasn't quite up to the point, but they measured it out that way. From 586 to 516, when, when Nehemiah finishes the temple, that's B.C., it was exactly 70 years. And then the, and then these men, they were already given the decrees to go back and rebuild the temple. Now, I gotta give you another verse here in Zechariah, the seventh chapter. He mentions the seventy years another time. The, the seventh chapter, verse four. Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me saying, Speaking to all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When you fasted, you got to remember, Jeremiah, Zechariah is in the land of Israel at this time. Speak to the people of Israel. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even these 70 years did you not at all fast unto me, even to me. So he's mentioned the 70 years there. You got the 70 years several places in the Old Testament. Now, and of course I always bring out the sabbatical years. You have to connect the sabbatical years with the gods they served. The gods they served did not require anything from them. If you invent a god, you can write upon that god's hearts any laws you want. They wrote whatever laws upon the hearts of Baal and the Grove and Shemash and Molech, whatever laws they wanted to have. Now, get back here to the 29th chapter. What I'm doing, I'm going through the high points. I'm going through God creates evil. I believe this is, this is, Part 16, I'll be corrected if it's not, but I believe this is God creates evil, part 16. When you read, when people say God doesn't create evil, let me just say this to you. You have never read the book of Jeremiah. He is without a doubt the bravest man. It doesn't mean he wasn't afraid of him. He was. That was physical fear because of he, but God kept telling him, I'm going to preserve you, Jeremiah. Nobody's going to kill you. And they didn't. Not even, not even Zedekiah. Not even Zedekiah's brother, Jehoiakim. Let me give you something before I get any further than this. I want to take you over to the 24th chapter of 2 Kings and show you these men as they came on the scene. 24th chapter of 2 Kings. 2 Kings 24, you're getting right close to the end of Judah's uh, kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom, and northern Israel was, was the northern kingdom. Now, look here in 2 Kings. I just want to kind of introduce you with a few verses to who these guys were. When I'm talking about Jehoahaz, 
Jehoahaz. And Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim. And then Zedekiah. Zedekiah, Jehoiakim, and Jehoahaz were sons of Josiah. Josiah was one of the most righteous kings that ever lived. And his son Jehoahaz wasn't much of a godly man at all. Neither was Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim was the, well, I just misspelled Jehoiakim. There I am misspelling again. Jehoiakim. C-H. His father was Jehoiakim. K-I-M. And the difference between Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim was the end of the spelling of their names. K-I-M was the spelling of Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim was C-H-I-N. So this is the son of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim's son. So these were all brothers. Jehoahaz was evil. Jehoiakim was ungodly. And Zedekiah was just a pansy. And Zedekiah was the... These two right here knew Jeremiah very well. Jehoiakim wanted to kill him. But he locked him up, locked him up. Because Jeremiah was going through the city of Jerusalem at the gates of the city, at the gate of the temple, saying, Jeremiah, saying, judgment's going to come. Nebuchadnezzar's coming. And he told him that for 40 years, shouting in the streets, telling judgment's going to destroy you. If you if you go to Babylon, you'll be okay. But you got to be willing to go there, stay there for seventy years, marry, build houses, plant vineyards, eat of those. When it's up, I'll tell you when it's over. Do not go to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, Babylon's going to come to Egypt and chase you over there, and Nebuchadnezzar will kill you over there. And that does happen. And they did pay no more pension, no more attention. Now here in in Second uh, Kings, the twenty, the twenty third chapter. This is where this is where Jeho has looking. This is where Josiah is killed. It talks about in verse 27, The Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, northern Israel, and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah 
he dies right here. He says in verse 26, Notwithstanding, even though Josiah was the most righteous king that walked after the commandments of God, in verse 25, he said, Notwithstanding, or nevertheless, verse 26, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah because of the provocations of Manasseh the great-great-grandfather of Josiah. Josiah, his father was Ammon. His grandfather, it was his grandfather, Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the most wicked kings that ever ruled in Israel. Ammon was wicked. Manasseh was was converted when he was carried over to Babylon and one of the peaceful deportations. Ammon was never converted. Then Josiah was a heathen until Rabshakeh, or till Hilkiah, who was the high priest, found the book of the law, Hilkiah. Hilkiah found the book of the law. And with these two men up here, and, of course, their father, Manasseh's father, was Hezekiah. These are the last kings of Israel. Hezekiah was the most righteous king that ever lived, that walked in faith according to God's word. Josiah was the most righteous man that ever, that ever reigned on the throne, that was righteous in walking in the commandments of God. But Josiah's father, Ammon, was evil. Manasseh was evil. And God carried him away, and he was converted in Babylon. Jehoahaz was evil. Jehoiakim was evil. And Jehoiakim, who is also called Coniah, and another name for him was Jeconias, G-E-C-O-N-I-A-S. And Jeconias was contraction for Jehoiakim. A contraction is like C-A-N-T. A contraction is short for two words, cannot. That would be a contraction. Jehoiakim had a contraction, Jeconiah. You will see Jeconiah mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. That's talking about Jehoiakim, that's where he's also listed as Jeconiah in Matthew, the first chapter. God skipped Zedekiah and he skipped Jehoahaz and he skipped Jehoiakim and naming them in the lineage of Christ in Matthew, the first chapter. They were left out. So let's look and see. So Jehoiakim, so Josiah, well, let me just read about Josiah, verse 25 of chapter 23 of Second Kings. And like unto Josiah was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses. He turned to everything that Moses said. Neither after him arose there any like Josiah, greatest one of the greatest men that ever lived on the throne of Israel. And his sons were just some kind of characters. And his father was a character. His grandfather Manasseh 
was pronounced the most evil king that ever lived in Israel. And then he was converted when he got to Babylon. Manasseh is one of the best reasons that we know how evil a Christian can be. And then Hezekiah, Josiah's great-grandfather, was one of the most righteous kings. Now look here. I just want to show you where these men come from. This is what God's going to destroy. Zedekiah is ruling when when he's ruling Israel when Babylon, the king of Babylon comes in and destroys them. And look here in in verse twenty nine. In those days Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. So Necho is going to try to attack Babylon. Necho, N-E-C-H-O. N-E-C-H-O. So Necho is over here in Babylon. He's over in Egypt. And he's going to come up here and attack Babylon. And Josiah rises up and gets in his chariot, and some Egyptian shoots an arrow and hits Josiah and kills him. Josiah's righteous as he was now. Look at this. And the servants carried him in a chariot dead from Megiddo. If you want to read about him, historically you can read uh, the history of the uh, historian I can't think of his name. Josephus. Uh, Josephus, yeah. Josephus. You can read Josephus, and he'll tell you how an Egyptian fired an arrow in the air and struck Josiah, and he died. And brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own sepulcher. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's place. And Jehoaz, Jehoaz was twenty and three years old when he began to reign. And he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hamatal, and the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Jehoaz didn't learn anything from his father according to all that his father had done. And Pharaoh Necho put him in bands at Ribla in the land of Hamath that he might not reign in Jerusalem and put the land to a tribute and a hundred talents of silver and talent of gold. He put Israel under this heavy tribute. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the room of Josiah's father, and termed his name Eliakim to Jehoiakim. E, no, excuse me, E L I A K I M. That was his name before Necho gave him this name right here, Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim the son of Josiah in the room of Josiah his father and turned his name to Jehoiakim and took Jehoahaz away and came to Egypt and Jehoahaz died in Egypt. And Jehoiakim gave silver and the gold to Pharaoh but he taxed the land to give the money according to the commandment of Pharaoh. Now, look down here in verse 24. 
You're going to see Jehoiakim in the book of Joseph, in the book of Jeremiah. He wants to kill Jeremiah. He hates him. He's the one. Jehoiakim, I've told you about that Jeremiah had Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H. He was a stenographer or secretary for for Jeremiah. Had him write out this book of Jeremiah. It was Jehoiakim that they took in the book of Jeremiah, that they took this book of Jeremiah to Jehoiakim, and he started reading it. It made him so mad he cut it up with a knife, and he threw the particles in the fire. And and Jeremiah had to rewrite the book of Jeremiah. So the book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah's book number two. And it says... In chapter 24, in these days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his servant three years. So Israel becomes a vassal nation. <laughs> vassal nation means a servant nation. And they're going to have to do, actually the last king of Israel that was a legitimate king was Josiah. He becomes a vassal king. He's got to pay all this tribute. Then he turned and rebelled against the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And the Lord sent against him bands of Babylonians and the bands of Syrians and the bands of Moabites and the bands of the children of Ammon. God made all these people attack Israel. So... Babylon was the first, wasn't the first attack Israel in this rebellion. These Syrians, Moabites, Ammonites, sent against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which, which he spake by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the command of the Lord came this upon Judah, southern Israel, to remove them out of the, out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh, back to Manasseh. Good grief. God's not forgetting that according to all that he did. Well, you can find that back in the 20th chapter when Manasseh just ignored God's laws and, and excuse me, 21st chapter raised up a, a tree goddess in the temple and offered his children in the fire and did all these evil things. And Josiah cleaned up the whole nation in the 22nd, 23rd chapter. So, he burnt all the priests of Baal, killed all the priests of Baal, burnt their idols. Then he says, he was all for the sins of Manasseh. Verse 4 of chapter 24 of Second Kings. you got to read this to know where these guys are. Verse 24. And also for the innocent blood that was shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. They he killed, they killed their innocents in the valley of Tophet, just south of Jerusalem. The blood they killed the blood of their Naki in Aqiy. Naki means all charges are dropped to the ground. They were not guilty. They were babies that were not guilty. And then he says, and the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that 
he did. Are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And then verse 6, there's much more to do with Jehoiakim. We'll find his actions in the book of Jeremiah. I'll call him to your attention because he wanted Jeremiah dead. He was after Jeremiah just as much as Zedekiah. Zedekiah wasn't so much after Jeremiah. He was afraid of the princes of Israel. said, because of what Jeremiah's shouting through the streets of Jerusalem, we need to kill him. And Zedekiah said, well, you can hang me in the mire. The mire was said to be human waste. And Jehoiakim slept with his fathers. And Jehoiakim, or, or Jehoiakimias, or Coniah, his son reigned in his stead. And the king of Egypt came not again any more out of his land. For the king of Babylon had taken from the river of Egypt unto the river Euphrates all that pertained to the king of Egypt. And he's, Jeremiah's going to tell you all about his attacking Egypt and slaughtering Egypt. But you have to go into Jeremiah to see that. Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim or Jeconias, was 18 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem. Remember Jeconias is named in the lineage of Christ in Matthew 1. And his mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's what Jehoiakim did, according to all that his fathers had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against Jerusalem the city was besieged. You will see more about that in the book of Jeremiah. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, went evidently outside the city, to have a conflict with him, a powwow. He and his mother and his servants and his princes and officers, and a king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried out thence all the treasures. This is important. King of Babylon is saying the same thing he said in the 36th chapter of Second Chronicles, where he carried off the treasures of the house of the Lord. He carried off thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths that could make any weapons or any tools to farm with and none remained save the poorest sort of the people of the land that's what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel the 6th chapter in the 8th verse he left the poor in the land when Nebuchadnezzar told Jeremiah King Nebuchadnezzar has given me instructions concerning you he told me to set you free and you can come to Babylon, we'll give you land, we'll give you an honorable position, or you can stay here. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had a lot of respect for Jeremiah because he told the people that Nebuchadnezzar was coming. 
tried to warn them, and they wouldn't hear. Nebuchadnezzar said, it was your God that did this thing to your people. That amazes me that the commander of Nebuchadnezzar's army would tell Jeremiah, it was your people, what they did, that your God did this to you. And it was the poor he stayed with Jeremiah. When Nebuchadnezzar told Jeremiah in that 40th chapter of Jeremiah, you can stay here in the land, you can come to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar told me to be sure and take good care of you because you were an honest man. And Jeremiah said, I'll stay here with the poor and help them. So he just stayed in Israel. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon and the king's mother and the king's wives and his officers and the mighty and the mighty of the land anybody who could be soldier and mount a, a resistance against Nebuchadnezzar carried him away to Babylon those carried he kept into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon and then he says down here in verse 17 and the king of Babylon made Mataniah, his father's brother, king in his stead, and changed his name to Zedekiah. So Zedekiah's real name was Mataniah. Mataniah, that was his real name. And Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem 11 years that's good because you connect chapter 25 with the city was besieged by Nebuchadnezzar from the first verse in the 11th year of King Zedekiah the reason he reigned for 11 years he was he was taken captive in his 11th year now let's go back over here to Jeremiah the 20, I'm going to try to work my way through this book. I love the book of Jeremiah. It has got more in it about how that God was not going to put up with the way Israel was living. The enemy in all this is Israel. It's not Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was honorable in saving Jeremiah's life. He was simply God's servant in destroying all these nations around Israel that had polluted them with all these gods they served. Now, where we are, we, we talked about 29. And I'll read some other verses out of 29. Talking to Jerusalem. Look at verse 22. And them, talking about Israel, shall be taken up a curse by all the captivity of Judah, which are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make thee like Zedekiah. God had had his eyes punched out, had him blinded, but before he had his eyes punched out, probably with a hot poker of some kind, he had his sons brought in front of him, and he watched while the Babylonians slaughtered his sons before his very eyes. And like Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. So Ahab gets 
killed by the king of Babylon. And verse, well, we know that he probably took his body that had been killed in that battle in the 22nd chapter of First Kings and probably burned his body. Verse 23 of chapter 29 because they, Israel, have committed villainy in Israel and have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives and have spoken lying words in my name. They're claiming to be prophets, which I have not commanded them. Even I know and am a witness, saith the Lord. Now, I'm going to skip on and go to the the 30th chapter. In the 30th chapter, I want to read some verses. I'm going to read verse 3. Verse 3, verse 4, verse 7, and verse 12. Verse 3, talking to Israel. If you notice in the first verse, the word of the, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Jeremiah's always saying, the word of the Lord came to me saying, we said the other day in the message, the word of the Lord was Jesus. In the beginning was the word, words with God, and the word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. Without him, not, not anything made that was made. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That was Christ. So when the word comes to Jeremiah, the word comes to Zechariah, the word comes to Ezekiel, it's always Jesus, pre-incarnate. Verse 3, For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel and Judah. That didn't happen. Israel's being annihilated here. That didn't happen any time in the future close he's talking about at the end of time here because they weren't brought back israel and judah wasn't brought back during the days of jesus only southern judah was back during the days of jesus only judah and i will cause them to return to the land that i gave to their fathers particularly abraham isaac jacob and joseph And they shall possess it. That has not happened yet. Israel is back. They came back May 14, 1948. These are the words of the Lord that spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. When it says concerning Israel and Judah, it's talking about northern Israel and southern Judah. It's talking about the whole nation coming back as one. I don't know that this is not talking about the church, spiritual Israel. And then he says here in verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob, when he's mentioned long after he's dead, is talking about all 12 tribes. When it mentions of a nation as Judah, it's talking about the two southern tribes. When it speaks of Israel, long after they're all dead, it's talking about northern Israel. So when it talks about Jacob, it's talking about all 12 tribes. But he shall be saved out of it. Now look here at, in 30, 
and 12. 30 and 12. For thus saith the Lord, Thy bruise, in other words, the way you've been beat up by Babylon, is incurable, marpe, without remedy. And thy wound is grievous. Verse 13. There is none to plead thy cause. Plead, rube, means to fight for your cause. You have come against me, God says. R-U-W-B. It means to fight. There's none to fight your cause. Israel, you've just turned away from men going after these other gods, which is the same thing that Constantine brought in the church and renamed the Christ Mass. If God's doing this to Israel, what do you think he's going to do to America? There is none to plead thy cause, that thou mayest be bound up. Thou hast no healing medicines, Israel. You're going into Babylon. They're going to be in Babylon under their rule. Then they're going to be under the rule of Persia. Then they're going to be under the rule of Greece. Then they're going to be under the rule of Rome during the days of Jesus. And then they're going to be scattered in 70 A.D. and going to be under the rule of all these nations until May 14th, 1948. And the Six-Day War of 67, that's when they get Jerusalem back. All thy lovers have forgotten thee. All your gods, the Bible calls their gods lovers. He says they're committing adultery. He said because they're committing adultery in Jeremiah the third chapter, I'm going to give Israel a bill of divorce. Jesus divorced his wife Israel. What do you preachers think of that? I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy with the chastisement of a cruel one. If you remember in Job 16, 11, and 12, Job said, The Lord was cruel to me. He took me up by my neck and shook me to pieces when he killed my seven sons and three daughters and had all of my cattle stolen away and the fire of God fell from heaven and burned them all up. People say, God is not... God wouldn't create evil. He'll not only be create evil, he'll be cruel to you. And then he says down here in verse 15, Why cross thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable, Israel. For the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased, I have done these things unto you. God created the evil and brought it on you, Israel. Sounds like the church in this day and time. Then 31. Let's go to chapter 31. I'm trying to give you high points to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a hard man to read. Looks like he's just being cruel. No, it's God being cruel. In 31, verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee, Jeremiah, I have loved thee, Jeremiah, with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee to me. Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt build, 
O Virgin of Israel, thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Thou shalt yet plant vines. Wait a minute. God's destroying Israel at this time. They're being carried away. They're going to be carried away for 70 years, and they're not willing to come back. And so he's going to measure out 70 times 7 against them. And they'll start in Nehemiah, the second chapter, the 70 weeks, when Nehemiah goes before Artaxerxes and Artaxerxes loves Nehemiah and he says, what would you have me to do? He said, I've heard that my city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah's over in Babylon, 650 miles away from Jerusalem. He said, I've heard that Jerusalem is burnt to the ground and my temple is waste. Let me go back and build the city of Jerusalem. And Artaxerxes gives him decrees to go back and build the city. He said, how long are you going to be gone, Nehemiah? He said, I don't know. He said, come back soon, because Nehemiah was loved by Artaxerxes. It took him 12 years to build the city again. And this is talking about in the future, but it's not when they were supposed to come back, because most of them didn't come back. This is talking about the end of time. Thou shalt plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. Samaria is northern Israel. The planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things. For there shall be a day that the watchman upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go to Zion unto the Lord our God. Well, that's not the way they feel here. Jeremiah is talking about their utter destruction. And the kings want Jehoiakim and Zedekiah want to kill him. And Zedekiah hangs him in the mire or Matanea, whatever you want to call him. And he says on down here in 31, look at verse 8. Behold, I will bring them from the north country. That's very significant. I keep saying, when Babylon comes to attack Israel, they have to go north up here, above Israel, because this is all the Arabian desert. They can't leave Babylon, go over across the desert, that all their armies would die out there. It'd be a thousand miles going across the desert. They have to come north and come in from the north to destroy Israel. The Bible says... An east wind comes from the east. God calls Nebuchadnezzar an east wind. And then it says it comes from the north. That's what it means by the north, everywhere you find it. How much time do I have, Mike? 18. I, I'm having a hard time getting through Jeremiah. You can't teach Jeremiah in a day or two. He's one of the, he's there at the total destruction of Judah, southern Israel. He's there, going through the streets for 40 years saying, Nebuchadnezzar's coming, judgment's coming, doom is here. God said, don't pray for these people, I'm not going to deliver them. said that in the 7th chapter and the 14th chapter. So everything he's saying here is for their doom. 
People say, Jim Brown, you preach doom and destruction. That's right. It's going to happen to America just like it's happened to Israel. Verse 9, then shall come the weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Ephraim was actually the secondborn of, what does that mean? He was the secondborn of Joseph. But when a firstborn in a family did something bad, Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. But Reuben was unstable as water. He slept with his father's handmaiden, Bilah. Don't do that. So he gave, Reuben should have been the king, he should have been the priest, and he should have gotten the inheritance by what Israel did. But when he was unstable, the father of the family can give the kingship to whoever he wants. He gave it to his fourth-born Judah. He can give the priesthood who he wants. He gave it to his third-born Levi. He can give the inheritance to who he wants. He gave it to Joseph, his 11th-born, through his second-born son, Ephraim. So when he says, Ephraim is my firstborn, what he's saying is Ephraim is my inheritance. That's what he's saying. And then he says in verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, O you nations, to declare it to the isles afar off, to the islands. Declare it to America. Declare it to South America. Declare it to all of the isles in the world and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him at the end of time. He's not going to gather him any time near future. They're not gathered under Babylon. They give decrees for him to come back. Most of them, about 45,000 out of a million has come back. You'll find the late 40,000s, 46, 48,000 come back in the second chapter of Ezra. And will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. That hasn't happened yet. Because literally Israel today don't believe in Jesus. This very well may be talking about the church. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. That's Babylon. Let's read a couple more of these verses. Look at verse 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah lamentation. This is while Israel is being slaughtered by Nebuchadnezzar's army. Can you picture those soldiers running through Jerusalem, just cutting people down, killing them right and left, except the ones that will submit and say, I give up, I'll go to Babylon. Those are the ones that he'll save. Thus saith the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, and Rachel, Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel was the beloved of Jacob. Rachel weeping for her children. Why would it say Rachel? Rachel's son was Joseph. 
Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. They were dead. That's what something that was not. Calling things that be not as though they were was talking about raising the dead, raising Isaac from the dead loins of his father, the dead womb of his mother in Romans 4.17. It's not talking about getting a Cadillac. I said it the other day. What does Cadillac have to do with calling things that be not with raising the dead? Nothing. This is quoted over here in in Matthew, the second chapter, when a decree went out from Herod to kill all the children from two years old and under, according to the time where the wise men had diligently inquired, where Herod had diligently inquired of the wise men at what time the star appeared, Verse 17 of chapter 2 of Matthew. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they were not, they were dead. They were being killed by Herod in hopes of getting that young child who they found in a house living with his parents in verse 11. They came to the house where the young child was. The the wise men did not come to the manger. And that's quoted here in the 31st chapter of Jeremiah. Verse 16, Thus saith the Lord, Refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. The work that you did and the evil you did, it'll be rewarded for what you did. The wages of sin is death. There's there's pay for sin. And they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And then we get in some of my favorite words. I use this so many times when I'm talking about repentance. Verse 18 and 19. How many times have I read this to you? I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Ephraim had already been carried away into captivity. That's northern Israel. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned. When you repent, turn is the word shub. S H U W B. S H U W B. Shub means to turn or be turned. You cannot turn yourself to repent to God. We have to cry, Lord, turn me, and I shall be turned. And surely after that I was turned, shub, that's when you repent. God has to turn you and cause you to look to Him. And after that I was instructed. When you really believe God, you listen to His instruction, His yadah. It means to learn from God. You're instructed. 
and you know by seeing and understanding. And I smote my thigh. That was an old. Israel hasn't done this. Not yet. This is talking about future. Either that or the church. I smote my thigh. When they when they wanted to take an oath, you would have to place your hands upon the testicle of the man you were swearing to. And we get the word testify from that. And you would say, I swear upon my seed. You hear the mob say that in movies. I swear upon my children, my children's children, upon my seed. And I was ashamed. When you repent, you've got to turn. You've got to be willing to sigh. And the word repent, now calm, means to sigh and breathe sorrow and be sorry. No psalm, N-A-C-H-A-M. It means to sigh and breathe strongly and really be sorry and console yourself over being sorry about what you've been sorry for. Instructed means you're listening. It goes along with the New Testament, mathetes. That is the word disciple. Disciple, we get our word mathematics from that. That's our word mathematics. That's the word disciple. It means a learner. And we get the word mathetuo from that M-A-T-H-E-T-E-U-O, which is the word teach. And we get the word manthano from that also, manthano, which means to learn. So you're going to learn, you're going to be taught by God, and you're going to be instructed and be a disciple and a learner. I smoke my thigh, and you're going to take a vow. But you can't do that until you're sevened. I don't have time to go through that. And I was ashamed when I repented. You've got to be ashamed of your sin. I'm so ashamed of a lot of things I've ever done. Sometimes I pray, Lord, why did I do that? Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't want people to hold that against me. I don't want to hurt this ministry because of it. I really am sorry. And I was confounded. The word confounded. Kalam means to be insulted. I'm insulted by God saying, yes, you did. And I'm reproached and I'm ashamed. Then he says, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? When he says this in Jeremiah, Ephraim is in captivity in Assyria. For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are strong or troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Am I out of time? Five. Five minutes. I'm not getting very far today, but I'm trying to review some things and let you see how I look at things. And here in this 31st chapter...
in verse Gosh, in verse 27, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of a man and with the seed of beast. The seed of the man that he sows them with is Christ. In verse 30, But everyone shall die for his own iniquity, and every man that eateth sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Your children can't be set on edge because you eat sour grapes. Verse 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. That's going to be with the church. You'll find that in Hebrews, the 8th chapter, Hebrews, the ninth chapter, Hebrews, the 10th chapter. You'll also find it in Second Corinthians, the 3rd chapter. I have a new covenant. You'll find it in First John, the 2nd chapter. He said it's a new covenant, but it's not new. It's the same as the old. I just blotted out the handwriting of ordinances. I blotted out the rituals. The law is still here. You still can't kill. You still can't covet. Behold, the days come. I'll have a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make and write with the house of Israel. After those things, they saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. Gosh. Whew. When you go to Hebrews, the eighth chapter, he says those very words, and he's talking about the church. Hebrews, the eighth chapter. I'm not going to be able to get all this in. I'll come back to that so I can review this. Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8 and verse 10. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. That's what he says in Second Corinthians, the third chapter about the church. He's written upon fleshy tables of our hearts, just like it wrote on tables of stone in the Old Testament. That's spiritual Israel, the spiritual Jew. I got a paper here on spiritual Jew. All these verses on the spiritual Israel. Gosh, I've got to come back. I'm out of time. Two minutes. And he says the same thing. In verse 1 of chapter 9, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine sanctuary and worldly sanctuary. And then he talks all through this, how he's going to have a spiritual one. And then he says in chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 16, This covenant that I will make with them, talking about the church, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, in their minds will I write them. That's the church there. People say Hebrews is about a letter written to the Jewish people. It's a letter written to the spiritual Jews. I don't know why people don't believe in that. That's crazy. Boy, there's something else. 
I'm, I'm going to stay on Jeremiah. Jeremiah takes me to everywhere in the Bible. Have you noticed that? Takes me all over the book. I'm going to come back to Jeremiah 32. I only went through about four chapters there today, plus Second Kings, the 23rd and 24th chapter. I really want the church to know what Jeremiah is saying. When you read his book, and if he's talking about you, there's no wonder these kings, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, want to kill him. No wonder. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I love everybody that's looking for truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. We pray that you'll take these words of Jeremiah and sink them into the hearts of the people. This is very serious when preachers will not tell the truth. They're seeking another God, their covetousness, which is an idol, which is idolatry. And you're going to destroy America for this very thing. I believe that, God. I don't believe this nation can last. Fight our battles for us. I don't know how to fight anymore. I just don't know how. I'm going to have to trust you. Strengthen the flock that's watching. Cause them to be willing to lay down their life for you and drink the cup and bear their cross. We'll praise you for everything, give you glory for everything that is. In Christ's name we pray, man. God help us. I love Jeremiah. He's one of my favorite people that's ever lived. I hope he knows that wherever he is.